Everything about this moment in history seems uniquely designed to challenge our mental health. We are suffering, we need answers, and we need help. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound to host their new podcast series, Going There. I'm Dr. Mike Friedman, clinical psychologist and life coach. With Going There, I will talk with musicians who struggle with their mental health, just like us. After all, mental illness affects us all. And the same artists who have stepped up to share their wonderful work with us are now sharing the intimate details of their journey in living with mental illness. We are going to ask the tough questions, and we're going to have the difficult conversations, all so that we can learn from each other. But more importantly, to shine a light on the difficult topic of mental illness so that we can all come out of the darkness and get the care we need. So we hope you join us on this journey. Going there, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we are back with another topic episode on our January theme, depression. Yay! <laughs> Never gets old. <laughs> I know. I'm going to hear it in my head every time. Every time I hear the word depression, um, I go, yay! <laughs> which, I mean, I guess is kind of the point. Yes, you know? yes. So, yeah. <laughs> it's reframing. Uh, so we discussed a lot of the symptoms of depression in our episode on the Babadook. So make sure you check that out if you have not already. Um, and today we're going to be talking about another film from Down Under. All of my energy went into not using an accent there. So excellent. My one success for the episode. I, so I've never mastered the Australian accent. I've tried so many times and I just can't do it. I can say like two or three. I'm like, Jessica. Oh, Jessica. That's all I can do. Okay, that's it. Let's carry on. Well, I quote uh, Dumb and Dumber and say, throw another shrimp on the Barbie. Oh, yeah. And that's the solid guy. Just. Never mind. I'm not going <laughs> to rhapsodize over hot Australian men right now. Okay. So, this is a Paul <laughs> Hogan about... stand podcast. <laughs> That's not a podcast. This is a podcast. Sorry. Oh, stop. Okay. So, anyways, we are talking about another film from Down Australia. Under. <laughs> Sorry. Now I had to do it. God damn it. I know. Can you hear it Please, in my heart? Australians, if we have Australians listening, we're sorry. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so we're talking about Lake Mungo today, okay. the faux documentary psychological horror ghost story from 2008. And I am really excited to talk about this movie through the lens of depression. I found a lot of writing about it related to grief. 
Um, and I think it does that well, but I think it has a really interesting and unique depiction of depression that I'm really excited to talk about. And I will, we'll talk yeah. about it in the feelings check, but I have had a journey with this movie in the last two days. <laughs> the grief thing is interesting. Cause I, you know, we'll talk about it with the movie, but I think because so much of the movie focuses on the fallout as mm-hmm. opposed, and you mm-hmm. know so little about Alice. Right. But I think when it focuses right. on her, it's a really accurate and wonderful portrayal of depression. But I can see where this would also fall under grief. But yeah, uh, we already covered yeah. that subject, you fuckers. So <laughs> there's only we so did. many <laughs> themes in horror. Mm-hmm. I'm coming to realize it's like we love to hit right. grief. We love to hit like paranoia. We love there's certain things that horror like treads in. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to dig a little. I, I remember when we started talking about depression. It's like oh shit. Are there like there's not a lot of horror films that tackle that head on. You kind of have to dig for right. it a little bit. And this is definitely one of those movies. It's not the first pass mm-hmm. read of it, but we'll we'll get mm-hmm. into it. But it's definitely there. And I think because the, the it, it, I almost see it in like two halves, you know, and I think the first half is very heavily grief oriented, mm. but then it switches focus. But before we start digging into how we see depression represented in Lake Mungo, we're going to give a brief synopsis just in case you haven't seen it or it's been a while. So here is your spoiler warning. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> pew, pew. <clears throat> All right. While swimming with her family, 16-year-old Alice Palmer goes missing. Her body is later found at the bottom of the lake. Her brother Matt is an amateur photographer, and after noticing an image of Alice lurking in one of Matt's photographs, the family comes to believe that Alice is haunting them. Other people hanging out at the lake where Alice died also notice the girl in the background of their pictures. The family consults a psychic, Ray Kameni, to try to contact Alice's spirit. A seance seems to reveal even more concrete video footage of Alice in the home. After suspicion falls on Matt, he admits to having staged the photos. However, Alice's ghost is seen again lurking in the house, and this time it's not just one of Matt's mirror tricks, and she's not alone. It just gave me chills. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) (laughs) I'll read the rest of this in a Vincent Price voice. No, I won't. Can you add an Australian accent into the... (laughs) Oh, hey, Jessica, this is Vincent Price. Oh, my God, no. No, I cannot. (laughs) It's a four Oh, my gosh. I can't. Okay, kill me. Ouch. Moving on. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, carry on. (laughs) Okay. June notices their super creepy neighbor in the background of one of Matt's videos. He was apparently looking for a VHS tape that Alice hid in her bedroom. It ends up showing him and his wife having a sexual encounter with the teenage Alice. This leads June to uncover the video as well as Alice's diary, confronting the truth that her daughter had a secret side of herself that she kept hidden from everyone else in her life. While reading the diary, June remembers noticing Alice was feeling off after a class trip to Lake Mungo. While watching Granny's cell phone videos of the trip from Alice's friends, they realize that Alice buried something near the dried-up lake. The family travels there and digs up what she buried, a bag containing her favorite necklace, her watch, and her cell phone. Alice's cell phone footage reveals a horrifying premonition, the ghost of her own dead body. We watch the recording of an approaching figure until we see its terrifying face. Alice's father, who identified her body when she was recovered from the lake, confirms that it is identical to Alice's bloated, deformed corpse. Uncovering this gives the family some closure. Although, TBH, this would be the final straw that would make me lose my shit forever. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> With the help of Psychic Ray, they begin to heal. As the family packs to move away, we revisit photographs and videos, only to find Alice actually is lurking in the background, forever haunting them, but never quite able to make them see. Ooh. Jeez, I got some feelings just listening to I know. To I got, actually got chills that. like just thinking. About, I, I really do love this movie, so yeah, we'll, we'll get into do. it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and so let's do that now. Let's do a feelings check, which is where we examine the personal reaction we have to this when we watch it. And we think it's really important to name our feelings because it helps us understand these reactions and what they're kind of like leading to. And it's one of those things that sounds really easy, but it's harder than it looks and it takes some practice. So, Mike, what was your first experience with Lake Mungo and how do you feel when you watch it? So I was fortunate enough to catch this in theaters. Uh, this would have been part of the, what was called like the After Dark Fest or the Eight Films to Die For package mm-hmm. that they kind of ran from like the mid to late uh, aughts, basically. Mm-hmm. And every other every weekend, like two films would be released for one weekend in select theaters. And what's funny is most of the titles, like when you look at the movies that kind of pass through the Eight Films to Die For. Series, they're pretty emblematic of like the horror of this era. There's a lot of gore. They're like super over the top. They're ultra violent. They're really, really bleak. And they took their cues from like Hostel or, you know, Rob Zombie's work in like Devil's Rejects or the later Saw movies. Mm. What we would kind of, you know, label a lot of like torture porn. Like to give you an example, one of the titles that was part of the series would have been Frontiers, which is this really ultra-violent French movie. Uh, It's one of the vanguards of the French New Wave extremity movement. And to this Mm -hmm. day, it remains like the best remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre that we've ever got. (laughs) But Lake Mungo is definitely like an outlier in this group. Like it's a much more introspective movie that does traffic Mm -hmm. in grief and depression. There's this strong emphasis Mm -hmm. on spiritualism in the film. Um, and it raises a lot of questions about our natural support systems and like how much we can actually rely on them in periods of extreme duress. Mm-hmm. This is one of those movies that sticks with you like long after you're done watching it. Like a lot of these ultra violent movies, you can, all right, it is what it is and you're done and you, you put it on the shelf and you move on where this one raises so many existential questions and it keeps you up at night. And the other yes. thing with it, it it's really like prescient of of what i would say we get with netflix in terms of the kind of like true crime or docudramas that they are known for churning out in that Mm -hmm. it continuously builds on these twists um Mm -hmm. where you have you know the start with with alice dying and then there's her ghost but then oh it was faked by the sun and then it's like but she's really there and there's a sex scandal and there's Mm. a so it really builds on that like keep must keep watching and keep building on it the comparison i'll make there's a book called house of leaves which is one of the most (laughs) unnerving books i've ever read and it like one Mm -hmm. of those books that chilled me to my core but i can't tell you why it does Mm -hmm. it's not Mm -hmm. a visceral read like say stephen king is but it's just much more disquieting to read and lake mungo is very much that movie i would also say that like because this is kind of before your paranormal activity and last exorcism where like that kind of like mockumentary 
format hadn't been overused to that point. And because this is probably a lesser known title and it doesn't track, it doesn't travel in shock. Like it's not like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's something where you could show this movie to someone and not tell them it's a work of fiction. And I bet there would be a number of people that would think that it's real. I, it's that I, well I think it's, it, it feels so organic and the pacing yeah. and everything and the, the performances. Mm-hmm. I, I really reflected on the performances this yeah. go around and they're really organic and good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's not that Hollywood ending mm-hmm. either, mm-hmm. you know, like it doesn't wrap things up in a yeah. bow. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I love this movie. So I'm glad we picked it. <laughs> Laura, what about you? Same. I mean, I, I've said I love it and I, I really do. I, <clears throat> I, I could be wrong about this memory, but I'm, somewhat sure that this was actually recommended to me by randall colburn of losers club um yeah and troll to fame fame. uh (laughs) i know it was someone i was working with in probably 2011 or 2012 i had a lot of cafeteria conversations with randall about horror movies back then so i'm wondering if i'm getting them all kind of mixed together in my head but it was around that period of time and he or whoever I was talking to said, you know, oh, that you got to see this one. If you like found footage, this one has one of the most horrifying moments in anything you'll ever see. And it's not in, a, in any of the kind of expected ways. And I was like, I'm on the hook. I got to go home immediately and track this down and find it. And you know what? They were right. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and it scared the shit out of me then. And it is that that moment, which we'll talk about, has scared the shit out of me on every rewatch, even though I know it's coming. And um, I do. Like I said, I think the pacing of this film the organic performances, the use of like that era of kind of grainy camcorder and cell phone footage paired with like a really subtle, like you don't even notice it unless you're listening to like listening for it, horrifying soundtrack and like um, use of sound sell what are on the surface, really subtle scares. It's obviously a bit of a joke to describe this movie as haunting, um, but I can't think of a better way to describe it. It's a slow burn that really lingers. And like Mike said, I have literally like sat up at night thinking about this movie and I probably will do that again tonight. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's also a really sad movie. And Alice's plight withdrawal and her inevitable death have always really stuck with me. And I think I, I have this in my notes somewhere. Like when I remember this film, I remember Alice's story, even though it doesn't really emerge until the film is almost like at least halfway done, if not a little more than half done. And that's what stuck with me and why I think that I gravitated toward this film for depression, even though on rewatch, I was like, oh, shit, does this actually like get into depression when I was watching the first half mm-hmm. of the movie again? But then it's not really until we get more of Alice's story that it really starts to click for me. And I think that that's just so interesting and a testament to the storytelling that that's what stuck with me. I this was the first watch for me and I had heard of it and I'd heard that it was good, but I didn't expect what it was you know I I think I had this kind of paranormal activity or maybe like even kind of hereditary um kind of expectations for it because um I think Chandler on Twitter said well if you like being really scared and really sad at the same time and I was like I do that's (laughs) kind of my jam but so I went into it and just full disclosure I watched this two nights ago and I was just really sleepy and occasionally I'll like pause whatever and like take a five minute shut eye or something and then I'll keep going and I had I kept finding myself falling asleep and had to do that so um I was watching through this and Mike what you said about it being like feeling like a Netflix documentary I think that's right because it's very like it's kind of segmented you know Mm -hmm. and so I would kind of go in and out of it and just kind of trying to piece it together so I I had this 
really weird journey with it because I got to that scary moment that we're going to talk about. And I thought it was scary, but I think, I don't think it had quite that, the impact on me that I was expecting it to. And it could have just been that I had overhyped how scary this Mm -hmm. was going to be in my mind. And so it ended and I was like, okay, that was pretty good. Going to think of some nice things to say about it because I don't know if it really got me. And so then I was like going about my nightly business and like 10 minutes later, I was like, huh, well, that kind of was interesting. And I started kind of thinking about it and started getting a little more like kind of creeped out and like disturbed. And then I swear, like 20 minutes after I pushed stop, I like stopped me in my tracks because I was thinking about her story and how it related to like these feelings that I had been talking about in therapy and trying to like put my finger on And it like blew my mind and I was like, holy shit. And I just started crying and I, I don't know if I actually cried, but it was just like this moment of like, oh fuck, that's what it was. And it really hit me, but it wasn't until like, I I had to really unpack it for it to really have the impact. And so because of that, because I knew we were going to be talking about it, I watched it again last night while I was kind of doing research. And I mean, it really got me the second time because I think I knew what to expect. I knew what to look for. Like I was looking at those pictures where we see more of the story later Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh shit, that was there the whole time. And it really like, it's giving me chills when I think about it because I think it is so well done. I think it knows the point that it wants to make and it's not like Mm -hmm. shy about making it quietly, Mm -hmm. you know? And it is one of the clearest, like I feel like I said this about the Babadook, but it's like one of the clearest representations of the way I actually feel about my own depression that I have ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, holy shit, I can't wait to talk about this. And just full disclosure, I don't have a lot of concrete thoughts about this yet. I still kind of, I feel like I'm still kind of processing it. So Mm -hmm. just as we, so I'm really looking forward to talking about it, but yeah, I loved it. I don't know if I will go back and watch it anytime soon. Cause it was very like, like it it got me, you know, and I don't know if I'm, gonna want to be got anytime <laughs> right. soon. It is, I, it is, I mean, it's it's actually a very uh, f- uh, intense movie in a lot of ways, and it doesn't, yeah, all, uh, yeah it doesn't really hit you till after the fact. I've, I've watched it a handful of times over the last few years, but it's definitely a movie I always want to like, whoo, I'm gonna be on a, you know, it's like you gotta strap in for this one in a weird way. Right. In a way you wouldn't expect. But it's sneaky. It's, it's not yeah. a movie that necessarily goes, it doesn't really try to scare you. Right. Right. And I, I think that like, you can make an argument that it's barely a horror movie. It's just that because horror is such a large umbrella and embraces so many different types of, of filmmaking or types of storytelling that it kind of falls under that umbrella. Like even the moment in the film that it, I don't want to say that it hinges on, but I would say like the moment that like, it probably had been a number of years since I've watched this, but I knew that moment was coming up. And I remember like pausing it for five minutes to just kind of brace myself (laughs) for it. And then watching it like with my fingers interlaced over my eyes. And that's not something I typically do. Mm -hmm. Even that moment, like I had a memory of it being like a lot more of your typical horror movie moment where it like jumps out Mm -hmm. at you, but it doesn't even do that. Like it is a steady progression that moves towards you and there's never like a stinger with mm-hmm. it. It really reminds me of the scares mm-hmm. in 2001's Pulse, the Japanese version mm-hmm. where these sort of apparitions come out at you out of the computer and kind of like 
it's there's an inevitability to it. It also, I mean, I'm mm. okay. I'm just going to spoil what I'll say later, but it also reminds <laughs> me of it follows a little bit where it's kind of got mm. that that plotting inevitability to it, which for some reason scares mm-hmm. me so much more than a jump scare yep. or something coming out and being like, ah, you know. Mm. Right. And the fact that yeah. there's not even that much manipulation of the face, it's ju- just right. they did such a good job with her dead body, the way that that looks looking really waterlogged um, and, and mm-hmm. really like a body does when it comes out of the water. I only say this as someone that spent a lot of time in college looking through forensic pathology textbooks because I'm a little mm-hmm. creep um, anyway. <laughs> but like the, and then doing that, that's just like there's so many smart, subtle things and. I really do feel like this movie did not know how to market this movie. They did not know what to do with it. And I was because I was thinking about it and I was like, did the director ever make anything else? The director, Joel Anderson, because he wrote and directed it. Mm. And I looked him up. He never made another feature. He made one more short a few years after this. And um, I found a Reddit thread where somebody was like, whatever happened to this guy? And everyone was like, I don't know. Mm. And like one person was like, well, this movie was a huge financial flop. And I think even the title is wrong. Like, it shouldn't yeah. be called Lake Mungo. I think they stuck because there's so many horror movies that are like Lake Placid, like this, like, or like right. something that they, they stick a location on it. I think that they like the poster the, the with the like, you know, the it just doesn't feel right to me. This feels very much more like a like a Japanese horror movie um, in the vein mm-hmm. of Dark Water or Pulse or the or, or Ringu mm-hmm. or any of these. Um, but like, I think the American, they just didn't know what to do with it. And I think it's in a lot of ways yeah. it's a victim of being kind of cross genre it's a victim of being a little too smart a little too subtle and i'm just so sad on some level that maybe this guy never got another chance to break through because Mm -hmm. this movie i think is so wonderful (laughs) and i just you know Mm -hmm. it's just it bums me out if i start thinking about it but yeah i i think being packaged with this series of movies and again the like eight films a die for thing like i remember when i put this in the other night i just like wasn't in any sort of hurry and I'm like I just kind of wanted to bring myself back to like that period of time so I sat through like the trailers that play that lead up to the title screen and every movie was like so over the top Mm. so violent and it was funny to the point where like it's so ridiculous that it's amusing Mm-hmm. After a while, it's like it is um, what I would call like edgelord yes, type totally. of stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. like these movies are totally like Zack Snyder's exactly, jam, basically, exactly. you know, and this one is so much more introspective and so quieter that it, it really it stands out. I think it's something where if it was released a few years later, once you have like your paranormal activities, your The Last Exorcism. You have this like series of like found footage movies that come out. And there was like another mockumentary from around this time called the Poughkeepsie Tapes, mm. which is really fucked up. Um, but that one traffics in trying to disturb mm-hmm. you. Mm. Uh, it goes out of its way to be so over the top at times. This one doesn't want to do that. This one is much more interested in telling like a real human mm-hmm. story. Yeah, and um, I think because of that, it's so disturbing because it feels so real. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it does feel like something that has happened to you or has happened to someone you know or, you know, might be happening to you now. Um, mm-hmm. Well, so now let's dig into our mental health topic, which is depression. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and I said this at the top of the episode, but we talked a lot about the basics of depression in our episode on the Duke. But today, we're going to go a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, 
What are we talking about today? <laughs> so, <laughs> step on down. Depression-wise. Yes. So, we talked a lot about the symptoms last time. I think we, in general, know them. Like, the, the one thing I'll, I'll just remind folks, the one thing about depression is it's not just like, oh, you feel sad, snap out of it. Mm-hmm. It's really more the irritability. The inability to kind of like do things you normally do, that feeling like there's a tremendous weight on you, um, and like the loss of pleasure um, that you would normally find from things. Um, That's really what depression is. I would describe it more like carrying around a backpack full with stones than it would be feeling sad. Everything just feels harder when you're depressed. You know, and we... I'd gone back and forth. Like the second episode we do in a topic is always a lot harder (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't want to kind of repeat myself with listeners. And I think some of you say, well, you do that enough in the episodes (laughs) anyway, dude. So, so why stop now? But what I wanted to do was like, I think a lot of times when we look at depression, we look at it as this kind of monolith. Mm -hmm. Like it's this one thing. So I found this, tremendous article called Deconstructing Depression from Dr. Uh, Margaret uh, Wehrenberg, uh, who specializes in depression and anxiety treatment and real like symptom management. Like she looks at the kind of like the root causes and managing symptoms overall. And she wrote this tremendous article about how depression isn't really this one thing. And what she did is she broke it into four different categories that it could fall under and there's a lot of overlap in terms of the symptoms in terms of things like lethargy um not being able to concentrate loss of energy feeling pessimistic stop describing me go go ahead sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah there we go um but kind of like looking at well what is the underlying cause for those Mm -hmm. symptoms Mm -hmm. So they broke into like your neuro your neurobiological or endogenous symptoms, which is like depression coming from within because of what your brain is telling you. Mm. Depression that stems from traumatic events in the past, um, situational depression, and uh, attachment related depression. And my notes are super messy, <laughs> so pardon me right now, and I'll apologize to Jen for having to edit some oh, of these no, ramblings, but. Basically, when you will break down like each one a little bit okay. and see and you know where people fall into, so the the neurobiological causes are kind of the internal causes. They're marked by saying things like, "You know what? I can't deal with this right now," or "I'm going to have to put this off until later." Um, there's like very low cognitive energy, like the mental effort to do things often isn't just there or if you've ever had a day where you're at work and you just sit and stare at your screen and get absolutely nothing done i don't know what you're um, talking about <laughs> no yeah, never that's never happened so and sometimes it's because work is boring but if it's because of like the onset of a depressive episode mm. it's probably you're it's very likely it's going to be biologically based and also it's possibly genetically that was my question because i do want to put a pin Um, in that for later talking about genetic uh, genetically linked depression mm -hmm. will i think be relevant to Mm -hmm. this discussion but carry on sure absolutely i can't wait to fumble my way through (laughs) well i really have Um, one sentence and then you can kind of go "Mm -hmm." mm -hmm. and then i think that all about cover that excellent (laughs) (laughs) your like characteristics you tend to be more passive you tend to be really unmotivated 
your idea of like therapy is suggested it's like well what the fuck is the point of therapy it's not going to help me out the idea of like treating that is to kind of like stress the positive as much as possible almost to the point where it goes like really over the top in terms of doing it what you're trying to do right now is basically think of your brain as like a subway cart that only goes in one direction and on one track and if you're mired in this kind of neurobiological depression what is happening is like you're always having these negative thoughts and there's no branching off of them so what you're trying to do is lay more tracks down mm. with slightly different ways of thinking. If you're like, I just like, I don't have the energy to do these five things for work right now. It's like, well, what if you did three minutes on each one as opposed to trying to treat all of it and building on positivity in that way? The stressing the positive, like the author called this like the Virginia report where everything was the best thing ever. Mm. Like I went to Subway yesterday to get a sandwich and oh my god it was the best ham and cheese ever chris traeger i would absolutely murder someone for the pickles yes chris traeger would be from parks and rec would be absolutely perfect mm. way to be duck which is funny because his character in parks and rec does reveal eventually that he's actually quite depressed and has struggles with right the fear of mortality yes. and all this kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. absolutely nope that is there the idea is to like not allow yourself to not have positive moments mm. like you have to like allow yourself to have those kind of moments of positivity so that was the neurobile and also again breaking things into small manageable chunks and celebrating your success within those small manageable chunks mm. traumatic depression will be the next one things that are more rooted in what's happened to you before so this kind of depression is kind of manifests itself in this really intense feeling of hopelessness that is usually rooted in the past. The key to it is that your negative response is disproportionate to like what would seem to be a minor stressor. So you get like a minor piece of bad news, like I don't know, you know, your best friend can't make like a event that they were going to plan on coming to. They cancel plans at the last minute, and your reaction might be like, "This is the worst day ever. They must really hate me." Nobody wants to be around me. I'm not worthy of any friendship or love or positive things. Mm. You just go really over the top in terms of your reaction to it. Kind of like the Livia Soprano. <laughs> uh, you know, the mom from the Sopranos point of view, what you would get right there. The idea behind this is like to, again, in all of these, I'm going to say the phrase like focus on the small things. But the idea is like focus on small bits of hope right now so you know things like i really want to have a life free of depression that's much happier where i can manage my symptoms well that's a really big goal to get to so break that into like i would like to have like a nice dinner with a friend i would like to like play a game with somebody i would like to have you know, one meeting at work go really well and then build on that success, like acknowledge the successes there and then start to kind of like build on it at that point. Um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So again, yeah. like focusing on small little things that you kind of want to go to go well for you and then kind of like reflect on those positive changes or those positive events at that point. Situational depression, it usually, it can stem from a lot of stress 
It can stem from like personal loss, like maybe you lost your job, maybe um, you're still recovering from the death of a loved one. I think in Lake Mungo, I think what we would see here is that what triggers like the, the depressive episode that sends Alice into like a spiral would be like the grooming of her by like her um the adult couple that she babysat for like the depression was already mm-hmm. there but what really sent her into that spiral that led to um i don't know i'll say it like alice committed suicide in this movie i don't know if we're on i was wondering if that, that was but... the implication i mean i don't think the film specifically I, says that but... i think it's the kind of i mean i think it's playing with that idea of right it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. did it really happen or did it you know mm-hmm. was it was it inevitable or was it something that was within herself right. dragging her down like a stone you know mm-hmm. i think that's the whole point yeah. really is to examine that 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 sort of paradox you know mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that the yeah. family does not ever consider that. I yeah, think it's is really interesting. Kind of relevant yeah. to it too. Yeah. So I know we'll probably talk a lot more about that as we get into the yeah. meat of the movie. But to me, that's how I kind of read her death was like she had the means and a plan to do so. The idea had been kind of planted in her through the cell phone video. Um, so the trigger for her, the situation that triggered that really downward spiral, would have been her being groomed by. Um, her neighbors and then the kind of guilt of trying to keep mm-hmm. that secret. Yeah. Um, Can I ask a question about that? Because I'm, I want to make sure I'm understanding the difference between traumatic and situational, because I think if I were to, I, I think I would probably describe that event as traumatic rather than situational. And I wonder if I'm just misunderstanding okay. that. Do you know what I mean? No, I mean, I could definitely see that reading of it because that is the kind of event that I think you would go back and could easily say someone would would suffer trauma from being groomed and being taken advantage from that. So I think because I'm I'm hyper focused on it being situational in this mm-hmm. point because like it just here is the cause and here is the end effect of it overall. So I don't think that it's an either or necessarily. No. I think it's a little. I mean, it yeah. can be a little bit of both. The the situation that she's in, mm-hmm. you know, stemmed from an initial trauma mm-hmm. and. um I think at that age, too, just speaking from my own experience, there's things that can happen and you you don't even really realize, especially when it comes to like relationships or sexual things mm-hmm. like that. that That's a really tentative age where you feel in your head like you're a lot more adult than you are. And it isn't mm-hmm. until after the fact that you're like, oh, that was actually really bad for me. And I just, you know, I've seen that in a lot of my friends mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, situations I've seen in life where like yeah. your brain doesn't even acknowledge that something is a trauma. Mm-hmm. And and it isn't yeah. until later, yeah. and it manifests in some weird way, and, and so I think it could really be either or, you know, a little bit of both in this case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one of the big connections I had with this, which we'll talk about later. But yeah, I just wanted to make sure I understood what we're talking about. Okay. So I would say, like, to maybe like dial it back a little bit, the kind of depression that might be stemmed from like having to care for a loved one that was really sick for a long time or work related like i would say this happened to me with like my a job that i had that led me to like leave that industry and then like focus on like human services and become a therapist where like mm-hmm. i got completely burned out at work and basically just stopped working for a month until they fired me like i just didn't answer my phone didn't travel to see clients so i'm like i wonder how long i can do this before they fire me and then when they're like they saw that I had thirty dollars in sales in a month instead of typically like a half a million dollars. Right, mm-hmm. and we were already on the outs. So it was like it was time to go. Mm-hmm. So 
what happens here is I would say like this is the kind of stre- the depression that can result in burnout and depletion. Mm. Um, what happens is you replace a lot of positive habits with some negative ones. So if you were someone that was really active and engaged, you might find yourself like sitting in front of the TV for hours at a time or pulling the covers over your head and not getting out of bed or completely like disengaging and disassociating yourself from like your support network and the friends that care for you. And this, what I would say is that like, it becomes like a self-reinforcing depression at that point. Because you're pulling yourself away from your network uh, and because you're like not engaging in the things that normally bring you some happiness or bring you the sense of like fulfillment and purpose in your life, that because those things are now removed, you feel more depressed at that point. Which is, I think, we see we see that 100% in this film. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's really the story that mm-hmm. is being told, too, is one mm-hmm. of withdrawal from support yes. system and the the ability or inability of a support system to recognize that and do something about it before mm-hmm. it's too late. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And finally there's like attachment or abuse induced depression. And this mm-hmm. is very similar to tra- to traumatic depression, but basically how you see this manifest itself is that you have like a pessimistic or overly negative expectation around the world about the world around you. It can be marked by this like inability to really soothe or comfort yourself. You'll often see this in like children that have been abused or neglected. There is a resignation that things are always going to be bad that can lead to a sense of hopelessness. You have a low expectation of yourself. You have a very low expectation of others. If it was marked by any one phrase, it would be like, life is really unfair, but it's especially unfair for me. A phrase I use a lot with clients is I'll tell them they're tending to like catastrophize things. Mm-hmm. Everything is automatically the worst thing ever. That there's this real binary that it's either really great and awesome and amazing or like, oh my God, nothing is ever going to go right again. And we're in like a complete downward spiral. So the idea here is what you want to do is kind of like Set yourself in a positive feedback loop and constantly offer yourself some encouragement and have the people that kind of nourish you offer you encouragement as well. The example idea is like you need to recognize you're hitting that spiral, that you're going down the path of like nothing is ever going to go right again. They're going to fire me and not only are they going to fire me, I'm going to lose my, I'll lose this job and no one will hire me again. And then I'm going to lose my home and then I'm going to be homeless living on the street. And then someone's going to murder me behind a dumpster for like a box of wine. And then the rats you know, are going to come like for my corpse becomes... and the corpse is going to go into the rats and the rats are going to become a rat king. Okay, mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> you need to basically do some thought stopping and put on the brakes and then have some like cognitive recognition. Like, all right, this is what I'm doing here right now. Mm-hmm. This is why that isn't the, the case right now. And this is what is actually going on. I'm hearing you say all of these mm-hmm. things and, and this was the case with the Babadook too. And I actually talked about this in therapy. I'm like a lot of these things that I had thought were related to other things like PTSD mm-hmm. and anxiety. I'm like, mm, maybe there's more depression there yeah. than I thought. And at the end of the so. day, sometimes it's like, yeah, the, it is important to identify the cause, but all these mm-hmm. things are so interrelated. I've always thought of anxiety yeah. and depression as two sides of the same coin. Trauma or PTSD yep. is just the, 
it's the thing that happened to you, but all these symptoms, like what Mike said earlier, the symptoms can be very much the same. You know, mm-hmm. catastrophizing is something that is in my anti-anxiety notebook, and it's something that's really mm-hmm. related, I think, more to my anxiety than my depression. But, the, you know, but they're so mm-hmm. interrelated that it's it's really mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. And I think it really only matters in, in diagnosis-wise in exactly how you're treating it, exactly what medications they're using. And it's really more about finding whatever methods work for you than it is about yeah. being like, I have this thing, and, right. you know, I don't think we we... You know, I'm only saying that because I've gone down that road my in my own head so much. I've pathologized myself mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm like, it doesn't matter. All I know is I have to figure out what works for me, which medications work for me, which styles of therapy work for me. And I need to focus on, on my own inner narrative, which is, I think, potentially what Mike is about to talk about based on these notes right. that I see before <laughs> me. Um, but but yeah, that's that's yeah. my soapbox. No, and I 100% Well, agree. and that is something that I've been... I, I've kind of been thinking about it as just the nature of doing this show. We talk about a lot of things and it's like the joke about a first semester psychology major yeah, they where think you they have all the like <laughs> diagnose yourself with everything. And I, mm-hmm. I think I tend to kind of sometimes like catch myself doing that. So I, I like that you said that, Laura, because I think you're right. I think it's it's all it's the soup. I keep thinking about your your soup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, it really is true. And I, and I think that there's so much we don't fully understand and and these labels that we've given in the psychology context are only our best effort to describe what we're Hmm. what we're seeing and in 10 years they're all going to be slightly different and 10 years after that they're going to be completely different (laughs) so they'll just be a whole different rat king right Mm -hmm. exactly it's all which (laughs) side note is that how is that what a rat king is a rat king is when a (laughs) bunch of rats get attached to each other because they're like living in such filth and they all kind of like grow into each other and their like tails merge and then there's like it's the most Mm -hmm. disgusting thing you'll ever see in your life so if you want to, Google Rat King. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, if that's not a metaphor for depression. Yeah, it is. And a lot of I am I, not going to Google that. Oh, it's one of my favorite things. Uh, it's just like something I like to throw out there at people every so often, mm-hmm. make them think about it, you know. Um, oh. but, <laughs> I'll put it in the Facebook. So, yeah, we can make that an fear. Instagram image of just a Rat King. <laughs> right, right. Uh. So I think the idea with all that is there is a lot of overlap in terms of where uh, in terms of like what you're seeing with depression and there is a cycle of depression that we'll probably just discuss here briefly Mm, in a mm -hmm. second but like trying to point out like okay what is the root cause of it can kind of lead you down like the best way to kind of like attack it in treatment and the big thing there is like you're not taking these massive swings at it and then if you fail well you're right back where you started from if you're not even worse like i would call this kind of like treatment through chunking like everything Mm -hmm. is like taking a small step so you know if you have 10 things on your list that you need to get done and it seems overwhelming if you do a few minutes on each if you can focus on like one of your negative thoughts in maybe like two times out of five you're able to kind of like deflect from it but really taking the time to reflect on your success in small bites and then kind of build upon it that Mm. point so that is kind of how i um look at that it's kind of like what the author of this article calls like microtherapy because it's not like you know you see this happen in movies when there's counseling it's like someone has this huge aha moment and then like their life dramatically shifts Mm -hmm. but the idea is like people make these like improvements in small increments and then what you look back and it's like 90 days from when you started or 180 days from when you started, look where you're at. It was really neat. I just have a, a client I worked with when they came to me, like they have like, tr- like 
major depressive disorder that stemmed from grief. And the holidays are really hard for them for a number of reasons. And we were discussing before the holiday what's going on. And we did a measure this past week to like kind of measure where they're at in terms of like how bad are their symptoms right now? How big of an episode is it? And it was like ended up being a minor episode where we did the same thing a year ago and it was off the chart to the point where it's like, do we discuss hospitalization right now? And all the same stressors were still there. But what had happened over the past year is that they had worked on developing like a real viable number of strategies, whether it be who was their support network and like very clearly identifying who was in their support network and what can that person offer them. Mm. So they knew like not just, hey, I'm going to call my best friend. This is what I can expect from them. You know, so depending on what the situation was, they had people in their life they could lean on at that point. Mm -hmm. They had like different breathing techniques or different thought stopping techniques that they would put into place. And then they had like self-care and coping skills they would use that brought them like a lot of joy and calmness. Mm -hmm. And because they were able to successfully use those throughout the year, when a time of year came up that was like really stressful for them. They were able at that point to say, you know what, I'm a lot better than I was a year ago. Hmm. So that was really neat to see someone who had made all these tiny steps hmm. along the way kind of mm -hmm. use them and put them into place at that point. It's absolutely the how you eat an elephant a bite at a time thing. I mean, that's yeah, so one bite applicable. at a time. Yeah, that's something I'm noticing now, two years into therapy, I'm starting to actually deal with some of the bigger things that I have been yeah. afraid to talk about. And yeah. my therapist was like, yeah, because you have these strategies and they're ingrained mm -hmm. in you now. And so yeah. when the smaller storms come up, they don't take you out, which is why yeah. we do the uplifting moments, because like yeah. you have to keep talking about them. you can't say them once and then expect to be able to think about it in a time of crisis you have to practice mm -hmm. and you have to have a wealth right. of things but w we can talk more about that when we get to yeah uh, oh moment. and like really when i i've left this out when we we're talking about like tra the traumatic response like mm -hmm. the idea of like the past is filled with all these awful memories and there's no hope for the future mm -hmm. so it can be hard to like when you focus on the past you get stuck in it and you don't want to think about the future because it's too nerve-wracking so that's where like mindfulness can be really effective, mm. like really grounding yourself and living for the present. And then also the idea of like when someone says like, I can't do this, um, flip the script a little bit, remove the phrase I can't, but instead say right now, I won't do this. Mm. Because what you're doing at that point is you're making a choice and it's less about helplessness yeah. and more about this is what I can allow myself to do right now in this moment. Right now, I won't do this because it will be harmful. But later on down the road, I may be able to with some time and effort. Where I can't sounds like it's something you'll never be able to do, and it's out of your hands at that point. And I've actually used that in a different context with clients where when they tell me I can't, or I usually use it with students when I'm trying to help. Um, like when they say I can't to me, I'm like, is it that you can't or you won't? Because if mm -hmm. you can't, we can work on that. We can move that around and we can find a way to help you eventually do it. If you're telling me you, you won't, yeah, then we're kind of stuck. You yeah. know, there's like, at that point, it's like not much. I can't make you do something you don't want to do ever. Yeah. You know? 
I had a college professor that said, don't you just find a different word for can't like I choose to, I am required to, Mm -hmm. I, um, was told to, you know, and it just kind of frames it in a way that gives you more power in the situation or at least clarifies, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like a little thing, but it's, I think to me, like it's those little things really add up and having that realization that it is your choice. Um, and it's not something that you're locked into that things are inevitable or it's just, you know, there's nothing that you can do about it, but it's actually your conscious choice. Like having that can offer someone some strength and some resolve to sometimes do things they don't feel they would be capable of otherwise. Yeah. Because I think there's power in changing your vocabulary, especially for Mm -hmm. a person like me who like I process things so verbally, you know, like just switching Mm -hmm. a word to like, I am afraid to do this thing that even gives me power to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm afraid of it. That's the problem. So I just have to figure out how to not be afraid of it anymore, you know, or maybe I just don't Mm -hmm. do the thing, you know? Yeah. Like, I think it's okay to not do some of those things too, which is why I like the I, what did you say, Mike? You said, not I can't, but I won't. You know, there, mm. there's, it's okay to not do some things sometimes. Well, cause you, right. yeah, I mean, at least in my experience, the way that depression acts on you is by making you feel helpless. It's like this constant thing sitting on your chest that, you know, and it's so easy to go down that mental rabbit hole of mm-hmm. being the victim. And, and I think that those little choices in language, whether or not you even believe them at the outset, because I know frequently I'll tell myself things that I don't actually believe just because mm-hmm. it helps. It's that like smile and you'll feel better. It's kind of like the logical conclusion of that, <laughs> you know, basic mm-hmm. sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does make a difference over the long term. And it's something I have to mm-hmm. I still struggle with because my sort of persona and personality are to be a little bit dour. And, and I kind of have fun with that persona. Um, and it's a big part of my like comedy writing and stuff, but it's like, it just co- it's so, it feels so unnatural to me. Like when I was talking about doing a gratitude journal, <laughs> like it's just like, ugh. Mm-hmm. but, but I, I, <laughs> I have to do it and I have to make myself do it, you know, and, and it does mm-hmm. help. Did we want to talk about narrative therapy at all? I'll, or did you just, we, we talked about it a bit in the previous episode. And I'm going to just use one part of my notes right here, because I think we did like, if you want to hear a little bit more about it, go back into our episode on the Babadook where I talk a little bit about like what that kind of treatment is. Yeah. I believe it's in our uplifting moment at the end of the episode also. I think so. And I think we talk about how like the movie itself uses it as a way, like the Babadook is like, the idea is basically behind narrative therapy is you externalize the problem. Like the problem is the problem, not the mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not what's about, it's it's basically all of us have these untold stories inside of us that are trying to get out. And what happens so often is we tell ourselves these stories about ourselves and our problems over and over and over again to the point where that becomes our reality that can be really difficult to break from. And we start to think of our stories as this linear thing with only one possible outcome. Narrative therapy, by externalizing the problem and not making it a part of like who we are and our personality, it's kind of realizing that, hey, we actually have a choice. We don't have, we, um, there's things don't have to be inevitable. And the only reason I'll use it here is like, there's this really important moment in Lake Mungo where like, Alice finds herself standing at the foot of her parents' bed, looking Mm. at them sleeping. And she's had this horrible nightmare and she's really depressed and she just wants comfort from her parents. And in that moment, she decides that like they can't offer her any comfort and they never can offer her comfort again. And that's kind of the breaking point for her. And that sends her, 
that really from that moment on, like what happens to her does feel inevitable. Mm -hmm. Narrative therapy would force her to ask questions instead of accepting that as a fact. So like if she was in front of me, I would ask things like, you know, when was a time that like that wasn't the case for you? You know, when tell me about a time where you felt those same symptoms of depression, but you were able to work your way through it. Mm -hmm. Who were the people that helped you out? What were some of the activities you did? What gave you energy? What made you feel more engaged? And there would be no like yes or no. It wouldn't be like, can you tell me about a time that you felt like this? Because if she says no, then you're like, well, great. Let's move on. So it's all open-ended and forcing the person to really talk about their story Mm -hmm. and re-explore their story and not accept that like every time this happens, this is the way it winds up. Mm -hmm. And because we're constantly pushing forward, we don't often recognize all of the things and the components that go into telling our story. So we focus on a few details and not the larger picture itself. And because we focus on only a few things, we limit ourselves in terms of like what the reality is and what the outcome is eventually. Mm. It's really what it's doing is it's telling, it's forcing you to tell your own story. These are the things that have happened to me before. These are the outcomes that it's had. Like, this is what has happened when it's happened. This is how I pulled through it. Um, These are the things that supported me. These are the different emotions I felt. These are the different ideas that went through my head. This is how I stopped that idea from coming at that point. So I'm hearing you say that and I'm thinking, gosh, that sounds so easy, but like, it's really hard. It's a lot of work (laughs) and it's, yeah. And like, hey, we all have very long stories, so it's kind of like doing it a little bit at a time. Seems to make sense. The recurring theme here, yeah, yeah, is chunking things out a little bit at a time, and it ain't gonna happen overnight. (laughs) Exactly. Well, so let's now kind of move into talking about Lake Mungo. Um, And I, sorry, my brain is breaking. I feel like this movie just kind of gets to me. Um, because I, I think the the thing I'm stumbling for is I have this like feeling of how this movie connects to me, and I'm just not really quite sure how to like crack into it mm-hmm. and start talking about it. You know, which you know that's often how it is when you're talking about depression. Is like, where do I start? What is? How do I like wrap my brain around this thing that kind of feels overwhelming? So maybe let's start with. I don't know how are we going to start this. Well, I can I, I can start it. I can start because I have I think I have some really general thoughts, which is why I stuck them in the um, mental mm-hmm. health section. But I think so. If you want me to speak like, uh, um, I can just start talking about it through the lens of my own experience with depression and anxiety and what and like because I, I I did pick this movie. I suggested it for depression, so I can talk along those lines. I had to stop myself earlier from going into that, and I think that will ease us into the discussion. So I can do that. Perfect. If you want. Okay. We'll you know what? We have to, we're, not, we're not live. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. Fuck it. We're um, not doing it live. <laughs> we're not doing it live. We're doing it recorded and for the fourth time. Yeah. So listeners, full disclosure, I'm having some hard times talking about this movie. So I'm going to let Laura start this because I'm just really still I think I'm just still processing it. And I'm still kind of trying to figure out this connection that I have inside that I just need to find words for so and I am so grateful for that. So thank you Laura <laughs> it's completely okay and I've had the benefit of having seen this probably almost 10 years ago now you know um so I've had a lot of time to to percolate on it um and again like I said earlier I I was 
I had this in my head as a movie that had themes of depression. And when I started watching it again for for this podcast the other day, I was like, oh, no, did I make a mistake? Where's the depression? Am I not seeing it? And it really is because it doesn't really come up until so far into the movie when we get more of Alice's narrative. And again, I'm not sure if I'm also projecting a little bit of my own life experiences onto her. Um, but I do think these themes are very present, mainly because in the worst and I think what what haunted me about this movie, if you will, was that image of Alice, you know, seeing her own death um, and that becoming kind of stuck in her head as a thought or an inevitability. And in my own worst moments of depression and anxiety, I have felt utterly disconnected from everything and everyone around me. Um, in one of the worst episodes that I had when I tried to go off my meds for a while and, and it sort of snowballed and it didn't go so well. I mean, all I could really see around me was death. Literally, I would look at everyone walking around me on the street when I was trying to go to and from work and all I could see is that they would one day be a corpse. Like, you'll be a corpse. You'll mm. get a corpse. You'll get a corpse. You'll get a corpse. You know, <laughs> Oprah style. And I, I would be too. And it was it was a, a thing that got so stuck in my head. I ended up going into the, going to the emergency room and thinking I was like, I, I don't know, I'm I, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. It was like literally like that. I'm gonna die at any moment, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a corpse. Mm -hmm. And and that to me sort of felt thematically like just so accurate to my own experience of depression and, and anxiety. But and so I felt when I saw this movie for the first time, that image just stuck with me so badly. And it was like really all I could really remember about the movie was Alice's narrative. Mm -hmm. And Alice states this opening line in the film that's repeated toward the end of the movie, which is, I feel like something bad is going to happen to me. I feel like something bad has already happened. And um, I see this so vividly like you know in her own narrative she's already had something extremely bad done to her which causes her to withdraw uh and she literally sees her own death as inevitable and coming and soon and, and i think that that theme of emotional withdrawal is very interesting mike when you were talking earlier um I was I was just thinking about that. In in this movie, we see that Alice does it. Her mother June talks extensively about how she has, you know, she she wasn't able to give herself fully to her daughter, and that that was something her own mother, the grandmother character, did too. Like she wasn't even comfortable with her grandmother being there when when mm -hmm. they were trying to find Alice's body in the lake, and and I thought that made mm -hmm. me really think of both the genetic component of depression that it's often but not always passed from generation to generation um but it also makes me think as i discussed in the babadook episode how depression can poison a support system and make it really hard to connect with people even those that you're supposed mm -hmm. to be closest to or that you're supposed to be able to rely on and it just makes it so hard to communicate your feelings like as as we're seeing in this discussion it can be really hard to to to, to give voice to these feelings because depression is like the absence of feeling it's the absence of yourself it is making you like your nega version of yourself you know and like mm -hmm. and i and i think this movie just captures that vibe and that feeling so well and i don't even know if it was the the director's intention with the storytelling but whatever the intention was which i think may have been just to tell this like kind of ghost story i think that the, those it cracks open into to all these much more horrifying themes, you know, uh, and, and there's something mm -hmm. so raw about it and so subtle at the same time that, uh, God, I just, it just, it, it really freaks me out. Like, you know, it's a, it's a really good film in that way. Um, mm -hmm. So those are my thoughts on that. And I don't know if we want to talk <laughs> about that moment of, of the big scare. Cause I, I mean, it just scares the shit out of me like every time Yeah, and in a way that's like, uh, uh, I literally go uh, a little bit when I see it happen. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, it's so funny. Like I watched it the second time and I knew it was coming, but I didn't, I, it still scared me, mm -hmm. you know, it was really upsetting and I wasn't prepared for the, the like knocking over 
part of it. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, and so the moment that we're talking about, and it's the one that we were referencing earlier in the episode, is when she is at Lake Mungo, and she, uh, which is not the lake from the beginning, no, different which I lake. realized. <laughs> it's I, a different lake. Um, two lakes. <laughs> there's not even water in this lake, which is, you know. There's just um, a lot of anyways. confusion going on. I, they shouldn't have named it exactly. that. There was, there's yep. too many right. bodies of water. Anyway, go on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, and so she's she sees this vision of a person coming towards her, towards her, towards her, towards her, and we realize that it is her face of her dead body that we, uh, it's a vision of her own death basically and it's it's that's the moment I think that really stopped me in my tracks when I was talking about it and I think what I connected to it was because I've had a, a unfortunately I've had a similar life experience than to Alice it's a different situation but it was like of a, an assault nature and I have said in the past like I feel like that killed a part of me and that and so I was watching this and I was like, oh, I'm already dead. I'm just waiting for my body to catch up. And that's a feeling that I have had. And I think like I not like get emotional when I say it because I don't actually feel that way. But it's a feeling that lives inside me. And I was trying to find words to it. And this gave it an image, you know, and it just really I don't know when it was that I made the connection between the assault and the assault. And I was like, oh, shit, that's why. That's why I feel this way. And so that feeling of like the part of me that matters is already dead. I'm just going through the motions. That is the the so I'm not real. I live in this picture, but not the way everyone else does. And I'm just lurking and people don't see me and people don't hear me. And there's also like for a lot of reasons that I'm not going to go into. I can't tell my parents about this thing, Mm -hmm. this thing, this thing. And so I think now as we're talking about it now, I'm like, well, that's probably it too. like feeling like this doesn't matter and I can't talk about it. And so it's just like this feeling of existing, but not really existing. That is like this space that you occupy and, and does, so does it matter? Does anything matter? And so that I think was kind of the overwhelming feeling that I was having <sighs> attached to this. So, and that felt, you know, it feels better to actually say words. Cause those words have been living kind of in my brain mm-hmm. for the last two days. And so it feels really good to get them out, which I guess is, I don't know if I'm bastardizing the narrative therapy thing. <laughs> like it's like well, it's always good you know. to, to 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 just put things into the open and talk about them, and you know, and and I think that mm-hmm. as we see depicted in the film, because what happens to Alice, it, you know, she is absolutely victimized and taken advantage of by her predatory neighbors because she is a child, mm-hmm. um, and they like get her involved in uh, some kind of sexual relationship that we don't even know the full extent of she 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 is really harmed by that you know and and, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that that's uh and and it it is the kind of thing at that age especially like and if it's there's like a sexual nature to it like you don't want to tell your parents there's a lot of people you don't want and and, and it feels so shameful and the shame and yeah. the and the sadness and all that can like spiral and and I think that's what we what we see happening in, in this narrative I I think you know and again, like Mike was discussing the different types of depression and the cause, sometimes the cause, you know, you, you can have an underlying tendency toward depression and then something like this can really set you off. Um, so, mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I think that's, again, 
if if Alice was if this was a real case, I this what I would guess about Alice is that she probably had some underlying depression issues that hadn't she hadn't really um even fully experienced yet and that this kind of like open cracked it all open for her. Mm-hmm. But again, we don't we're 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 reading into what is put on screen because they only give us so many details. But you know, but right. but I feel which for, is great. Well, yeah, and I and I feel fairly confident in that reading of it. You know, because yeah, I just think that yeah we're, that we're correct. <laughs> One of the things that really struck me on the rewatch of this movie too was just like the placement of the son, the mom, and the father, and that they were often interviewed like separate from one another and when they were together like they were often not seated in on the same thing like they had separate seating and they weren't really looking at one another and there was no physical touch Mm -hmm. or physical intimacy between them and in terms of like not having or feeling like you don't have like a loving caring supportive network that can be there for you and this ties into like mom the mother saying like she couldn't give all of herself to her daughter that she did kind of like put herself off from her a little bit um and one of the one of the themes that comes up throughout the movie it, when mom is visiting with ray the psychic is that she can't she can feel mm-hmm. but can't see her daughter that like she's never mm-hmm. really seen is that there's kind of this lack of emotional intimacy within the family mm-hmm. itself at times. And I wonder, it made me wonder when I was rewatching it, how much that might've contributed to Alice kind of feeling that way. Like I don't have anyone because I, I've, you know, everybody just kind of goes about and does their own thing. And you see like in the grieving process that each of the family members go through, they all grieve in their own way that they're not in, in ways yes. that aren't really interconnected, except for the son the son is really it. trying to bring them yeah. together mm-hmm. and make them face it. Yeah. Where dad throws himself into his work. He just kind of want to goes goes back to the job. He's like, he was grateful for it uh, because it allowed him to distract himself from the, from really processing like the really heavy emotions that would come with losing your daughter, especially the tragic and young way. And mom starts to wander the streets because she is so disturbed by these nightmares yeah. that she has. That she like keeps herself awake and walks through the neighborhood to the point where she breaks and enters into yeah. people's homes. And she doesn't do anything untoward. She says, like, I just wanted to feel like what it would be like to live someone else's yeah. life for a minute. Because she just can't face her own life and her own grief and sorrow in that moment. That line really stuck no. with yeah. me. And I, I've like been I've talked about this before, but I'll be driving and I was like, I wonder what their life is like. I wonder if oh, it would be I, better. I walk there. around all the time during this pandemic just staring into people's windows. I like walking at dusk because people haven't closed their shades yet, but their their lights are mm-hmm. on so they can see into their homes. I'm not creepy. Uh, I just have to it's <laughs> no. I'm just I need something in this pandemic time. Uh anyway, I definitely <laughs> yeah. didn't relate to her in that moment. But I I just want to backtrack for one second to the sun. I think it's really interesting that you point that out. It just never clicked to me because they, they have this long discussion in the film of why did he do that? Why did he fake these things? And no, you know, didn't it didn't actually end up hurting your mother more? And, you know, he's mm-hmm. like, that wasn't my intention, but I guess I did, you know. And it just clicked to me that, yeah. like, this is a family that doesn't know how to communicate much like, and we don't, we need to talk about Kevin. Like this is a family that like, so the son actually has to do something that on its surface seems kind of fucked up to, 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 to process Mm -hmm. the grief that he's living. And he sees his two parents kind of going off and being unable to process 
process grief and you know the father goes into work mom is wandering the streets at night having terrible nightmares so he he does the only thing he can which is to like literally kind of resurrect alice in in his limited way that he's able to in order to bring them back together again and it does kind of work in, in a way it's like this family is so unable to communicate and unable to connect that it required something kind of, like kind of messed up to break through and um yeah. I think that's really interesting mm-hmm. and it's so subtle that it never really clicked mm-hmm. to me before mm-hmm. literally just now. Yeah. And I never yeah. felt like he was doing it with any sort of ill intention. Right. Whatsoever. Right. It feels like it was in some ways him trying to process through his own grief, but also mm-hmm. to force mom and dad to kind of talk about it, to examine it. And so they could like move past it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like here is this picture. I'm showing it to you right now. We can't, we can't ignore this because it's in your face. Right. Well, and if we look at, like, I think I wrote something a little snarky in this, the original synopsis about how, oh, they learned this terrible thing and that's great. And now we're all happy mm-hmm. again. Right. But there is, that does seem to be the turning point right. for them healing is that they learn this really disturbing thing about their daughter mm-hmm. and it seems to relieve them all. And I think I, I could take a darker reading of that, but as we're talking about it in this context, it's like, oh, we're finally admitting the truth mm-hmm. and we're finally talking about it. And that is a relief, even if it is like w- the thing like I was talking about earlier, like actually saying it feels better mm-hmm. sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's like it feels like cleaning out a wound mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. and like it might hurt on the surface, but then like the blood starts flowing again and like you start it, it can the heal. infection and the rot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It heals. Yeah. I think that's a really good yeah. metaphor for it. Exactly that. And it, you have to clean out the wound no matter how much it hurts at first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing that I kind of connected with this is having a parent that is not really emotionally available, um, which I've talked about my dad a little bit, um, but that that kind of causes you to think like I'm not worth connecting with, you know, and so it just kind of is an underlying condition like when I was looking at this I I think about it it's like it just lowers your immune system so when things come along like when you pass a a, somebody that's got the flu you're more susceptible to it because you have that weakened like sense of self you know which I think maybe is sometimes why I tend to maybe it's why I dated a lot of the people I dated yeah and that that might be another story no I mean I thought the exact same thing and it's it's I want to separate it from any kind of like victim blaming thing because I wanted to say I kept saying I kept wanting to say things like she was vulnerable and that's why the neighbors were able to get her you know or whatever and I don't think it's that simple but I do think when someone doesn't when someone doesn't get emotional support especially at an age like that or when you're a child or developing like you're gonna try and find support and validation somewhere and Uh unfortunately for Alice she she ran into some people that were going to take advantage of that vulnerability yeah. And because you don't know what healthy validation looks like. Exactly. Really. Exactly. And you can just see all this stuff happening below the surface of this narrative and what must have been going on inside of her as a result of that. And that's actually like it's really awful, but it, it needed to come to light. Right. Yeah. And you can see the attraction of her turning to that couple. If you're Alice, you can see there's this, you know, the the idea like of her being groomed by this couple and grooming mm-hmm. is this really insidious thing where mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's such a power imbalance between these parties. Yep. And part of the reason why this depressive wave really hits her is when this grooming incident happens with her neighbors, it's this really 
awful horrible thing because like you said we don't want to victim blame here but how they like really are able to manipulate and take advantage of her and kind of like prey on that sense of loneliness and vulnerability that um, was probably they recognize as right underneath the surface and Mm -hmm. almost treat her like a peer or an equal in some ways like oh look how much more mature you are and they talk about Uh how many like neighborhood kids like just hung out at this pool like kids that would have been mm-hmm. about her age that would have hung out and you see that footage of her talking to the neighbor while all the kids play in the pool she's mm-hmm. separate from them and she's talking right. to the, the dad the dad neighbor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um and then how that would be could really wreck her i mean this sense of like look who do i turn to like if i tell my parents about this how will they look at me if anybody yeah. finds out about this, how and you can you could see the neighbors probably using that as a cudgel. Mm-hmm. It's something that they would say to her, like, "No one will believe you. Nobody will listen to you. Everybody, you'll have basically a, you'll be branded like with a scarlet A, basically." Yeah, because they're mm-hmm. in a small town, and and she they they filmed a video, and then she absconded with it and hid it from them. That says a lot, right there, that they probably were mm-hmm. trying to use that as leverage against her, and she figured that out and and hid it in her room. Mm. And the I that image of like when you see him in the videotape, like it's that is right up there as one of the most shocking images of the movie because the sense of violation that comes with that this Mm -hmm. idea that like this like safe space that is not only supposed to be safe for you it's your own home where you want to feel like nothing bad can happen here but then to have like your dead child's sanctum like violated in that way Mm -hmm. uh and then the discoveries that lead to like they're awful. They're it's really, really yeah. just awful. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw this movie, the reveal of the neighbor in the bedroom. It gave me the, and I wanted to bring this up. It makes me, there's a number of moments where this this movie reminds me of Twin Peaks also because mm-hmm. the family's named Palmer. Daughter mm-hmm. ends up in a lake. And then like that reminded me of Bob in Twin Peaks when they cut to the, the foot of the bed and Bob was there. It gave me that same feeling of like, oh, there's just some guy there. And it's like, it's really fucking right. creepy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It really is. Like it gives me chills when you think mm-hmm. about it. But I mean, that's kind of like the, the perfect way to reveal this character too because that's what a a predatory person like that does is they just lurk right outside of the periphery and you don't recognize that they're a threat until they've already got you hiding in plain sight Mm -hmm. exactly the the reason i think i connected what to this and that it took a while to kind of figure that out is because of the nature of this this thing like i feel like there sometimes there's an assault that's like and I don't want to compare any kind of pain or trauma but when it is an assault by a trusted person and it happens over time there is there's this ability to convince yourself that it's not real or that it's your fault or that you are in some way that it's not a big deal you know I all the time find myself saying am I making too big of a deal out of all of this you know and through therapy I've really kind of stopped Mm -hmm. saying that but like I feel like that leads to a lot of um because you can't there's not one thing to hang your hat on you know it's like over time this like erosion of self-worth and like feelings you know it's exactly what we were saying it takes such a long time to heal and it takes all these Mm -hmm. little tiny steps you your sense of self and identity can can be eroded by a a death by a thousand cuts as well and that's people like that predators they they know that and they it's very intentional the way they do things they they can't just run into your home and 
throw you against a wall or whatever. It's just like, mm-hmm. they, right. they, that's why it's called grooming is because it's little bit mm-hmm. by little bit by little bit. Yeah. going to break you down. Exactly. Yeah. And it's hard to report that because what do you do? Like, right. I'm going to tell you 50 things that I didn't even recognize. That cops you know? won't, right. won't fucking give a shit about because it's not like a smoking gun. Right. And that's just the nature right. of our legal system. I'm about to go down a real bad rabbit right. hole here. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cut yeah. myself off. It's, it's a real slow way to kind of ingratiate yourself into a person's life. Like you find their common interests, you flatter them, you isolate them from their peer group at that point and make them feel like they're more special in some sort of way. And Jen, to your point, it's the kind of assault that can probably feel really good in the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And it's not until like you reflect back on it, like this is a really fucked up situation. And where does it go from here? That that sense of like guilt and shame can really set in in that feeling like that I've done something wrong at that point mm-hmm. and because yeah. I've done something wrong I need to hide this I need to bury it at that point yeah. well and then she is confronted with her dead body like if and, I, and if I'm looking at it through the context of what I said earlier like I got to a point where I realized holy shit that was really fucked up I could classify that as an assault and describe it in that mm-hmm. way but until I got to that point I hadn't it wasn't really on my radar and then all of a sudden it's like the veil is ripped away and you can't go back mm-hmm. and it's like this this image of herself as a dead person is like creeping 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 and then it's right in her face and she can't deny it anymore mm-hmm. it's like this is what your soul really looks looks like Mm -hmm. and this is what this is what has actually happened to you and I guess like a videotape of that too because when you're in the moment like you're not seeing the whole picture but on tape you see everything in the room Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and I think this movie is it's I think one of the reasons it's hard to talk about because this is truly I mean a lot of horror is an analogy or a metaphor but this really is a metaphor I mean it like the the substance of the thing we're talking about is a ghost and it's these these things are, Mm -hmm. are it really is taking all these sort of complex ideas and distilling them into this what is looks like on the surface a pretty simple ghost story or like a not super complex ghost story and i think that's why it's hard to to pick the strands apart here is because mm-hmm. this movie even more so than something like a hereditary or a baba duke is really like very the the monster is the metaphor it, it's done mm-hmm. so subtly that it's mm-hmm. taking even this conversation to help me unpack it you know mm-hmm. um i think baba duke hereditary a lot of the big hits the 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 metaphor is much more um i don't want to say obvious because that sounds derogatory but like it's it's just much clearer this one is a lot more under the water if you will you know um yeah yeah and i still like i love like a live i love what i get from the babadook mm -hmm. and it's it's just a different side of it it's like oh this is this is the feeling of it whereas the other well i don't know i don't even want to compare it necessarily it's It's just just different this one just it is this it one is really creepy it's just like it's just really simple and mm-hmm. but deceptively mm-hmm. simple and it just yeah I, I think i think it's just more complex and the guy you know whatever he was trying to i think he, there was just more ideas buried in here and that it's not just sometimes they can be really good to have a clear focused metaphor which is i think what you get in something like babadook and wh- part of what made it kind of a hit you know um mm-hmm. this one because you know again it wasn't a hit this one is there's just it's complex there's a lot going on I really appreciate it because it's the kind of story and movie I was always trying to make and write you know and I think like mm-hmm. my short film that I made kind of was similarly maybe a little cloudy with a lot of ideas but I think that there's still something really powerful about going deep and exploring all these different themes and um I just think this movie does it so well and it's just a shame that mm-hmm. more people 
aren't aware of it. So, yeah. Right. One of the things that really strikes me is the very end of this movie where uh, June has one last session with Ray. Mm-hmm. And the decision that's made, the way it's cut, is that you have like Alice's session with Ray and June's session with Ray because one of the things that comes up in the movie is that like prior to her death, June I'm sorry, um Alice had sought out the same psychic medium that the family had turned to. Mm-hmm. Uh unbeknownst to them, like they did actually didn't realize that she had sought them out. So they play their sessions and they intersperse them with one another. Mm-hmm. And basically what each of them are seeing in their like vision, like under their hypnosis is they're seeing one another or they're experiencing the same thing, but different aspects of it at that point. And um, Alice talks about how she feels her mother's presence. She can see her mother in the bedroom with her. She can reach out and touch her, but her mother is completely unaware that Alice is even there. And in June's session, she talks about walking through the home and how it's empty and how She's in Alice's bedroom, but there's nothing there anymore, that Alice is gone, that her presence is gone. And it really ties into why Alice was unable to really break free from her depression is because she felt so cut off and alienated from everybody around her Mm -hmm. that it was like she wasn't even there any longer. And I think what really the image that drives that home is you have the photograph of the family at that point like the family is moving out of the home they are decided to put the past behind them and move forward and part of that was to sell the home and just in in, and start over again and there's this photograph of them in front of the house and in the background it's so creepy and so well done is that really and that photo had been used earlier in the Mm -hmm. movie and then you return to it again and you see just the faintest image of like Alice's specter in the mm-hmm. background. And again, like they're completely unaware that her presence is it's her presence is still there with them. It's, with yeah. it's them. really a heartbreaking ending in a lot of ways yeah. because mm-hmm. it's like they think that they've had this moment of clarity and that because they've resolved their their issues or so they see them or they've at least mm-hmm. aired their grievances, they've gotten past the, the the disclosure and now they're ready to move on. But Alice isn't. Alice will always be there. Right. And it's kind of like, it's almost like the origin story of a haunted house film, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it it breaks my heart because it's like, for them, they were able to get closure and move on. But really, the de- Alice's death really did seal her fate. Right. There, there's those, mm-hmm. that, a few moments, there's a moment earlier where they have the parallel dreams with Alice standing at the foot of the bed. And then mom says when she has her nightmares, she had the mm-hmm. one of Alice standing at the foot of the bed. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. I find that very haunting. It reminds me of like something you would mm-hmm. see in a sci-fi movie like Interstellar or something like that. But it's mm-hmm. done through this haunted house narrative that's just, uh, I, I just, I get verklempt. Yeah. Right. I thought it was telling too that dad at one point earlier in the movie talks about seeing Alice's spirit in her room. Like he, he hears mm-hmm. her. He sees her and he actually interacts with her. And the interaction that she has is like, she freaks mm-hmm. out and she almost attacks him. And like, that's the only time in the movie that that happens. Mm-hmm. Like the thing about this movie, is it's not like a traditional haunting or a poltergeist that is trying to like drive the family away. But like the one time in the movie that Alice feels like that she's seen, she immediately wants to drive that person away from her. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that like a really kind of telling thing as the movie went on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's something I've experienced too. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, I'm not talking about my feelings right now. Cause it's like, if you've grown up not believing that your feelings are worth talking about or that you can trust someone to talk about them, then it is going to feel really uncomfortable. That's something I'm working on right now. Like, and I feel like you walk out of this movie knowing so little about Alice. That yeah. The movie is really about how the family is processing the event. Um, and there's so, you find out these small details about Alice or well, really big details and that like the event with the neighbor and how, and then through her diary, how she was experiencing this depression but there's really, you come out of the movie still not really knowing or understanding her as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's intentional. I mean, it's like, again, the metaphor is the thing, like, she, she is unknowable, just much like tragedy or depression or trauma is essentially unknowable because it's like yeah. it kind of locks you, it locks into this little dark part of yourself that you can't ever really fully un- unpack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this this story really is a tragedy. It's exploring that side of it. It's exploring the like worst possible outcome side of something like this, which mm-hmm. is kind of what puts it in that horror camp versus a, a drama or something where, you know, all these things mm-hmm. come to light and then the family reaches resolution. Um, it's exploring what is the ultimate, what is at the very, very bottom of that downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a Garth Brooks song that this reminded me of, and I'm not a huge country fan, but I do really like him. And it's a song called The Storm, and it's about a breakup. And it's one of those country music songs where it's like really a story too, but I really liked this one. And there's a line in it that says, and your friends have all gone back to their lives thinking you will be all right. And it just, that has kind of stuck in my head for a long time because there's that, that oh, okay, crisis is past. We're moving on, you know, and then you're stuck behind. And I just that that line kept coming up when I was looking at pictures of Alice, like still there, like she's still there Mm -hmm. because nobody can see her and nobody knows she can't tell them what she needs. And they don't even know she needs something. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that uh, if you want to continue the Garth Garth Brooks comparison, this this movie, (laughs) you know, like if this was a drama where the family gets resolution, that's Garth Brooks. But this movie is Chris Gaines. (laughs) The dark Garth Brooks. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I remember when that was a real thing. It's like, really? I think about it sometimes, and it's like I managed to repress the information, and then it pops into my head, like he did the Chris, right. Chris Gaines album, and like, it just makes me laugh uh-huh. every time. I will say he I have met him once and he oh, was really? very kind. I'm sure yeah, he seems um, like a nice guy, <laughs> but he seems very genuine. But that that is one of those things. Where I'm like. I just okay, like think of the hair, hair. the hair. <laughs> it's like the Spider-Man three. Yeah, and absolutely the dark know? Spider-Man, the Darth Kirk. Hey, I've recently rewatched Spider-Man three. It is much, it's much better than it's remembered. It? For. I'll have to take I your remember word not it. hating it. I just love yeah. that that image of him walking down the street, all like <laughs> dark Spider-Man. Now, <laughs> um, I did want to mention one more thing. I think before we move on, that I was kind of I I have some half formed thoughts about, but I wanted to talk about what she buries in the lake because it's her mm-hmm. favorite necklace, her favorite bracelet, and her cell phone, mm-hmm. right? Like her most precious Which has, belongings. Yeah, or that's yeah, what the and that's says. kind of what I was I was feeling my way around because I understand burying the cell phone because it's got the video on it but what do we think of her making those other two choices to bury those things I mean I didn't read much beyond the surface read of it in the movie which is that it was this ritual of like 
burying yourself, you know? And I think mm-hmm. it could I could read lead into Mike's, you know, read of it being a suicide because it's kind of like if you are willing as a teenage girl to part with all of your favorite belongings, that really is symbolic of being ready to bury yourself. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. I'm done and I'm putting it yeah. in the ground and soon I'll be in the ground too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would I would say that like giving away the possessions is or getting rid of them is often is often a sign that someone is making their preparations and I think like here the reason I read this as a suicide is when you watch the footage of the family kind of interacting with one another at the lake and they're all happy like it's a really joyous occasion like they're celebrating they're enjoying a kind of a nice family holiday out and I think I read that as like her at peace with what she was about to do. Mm. You know, obviously, I think the idea of seeing her corpse, like, drowned is what planted the seed. Like, this is how I would Mm. do it. And then she had, like, the motive and the opportunity at that point. Like, the means were there. The intention was already there. And that's why she stayed behind when the brother was going in. And she was at the reason why she was able to, I don't know if enjoy is too strong a word, but that last day with her family is that she was at peace with like the decision that she was going to make that day. Like once she saw, here's where we are, and this is what I can do, then, you know, she felt like she would finally be at peace. And that was kind of what she hmm. wanted. Hmm. It's interesting. And now that we're talking about it, I had kind of had the vague impression that it might have been a suicide. But I wonder, but the movie doesn't tell us and they really don't make it a point to say, oh, well, the, the sea was angry that day, you know, or like mm-hmm. give any kind of cause for the why. Sea was angry that day. <laughs> Is there a marine biologist? I know. <laughs> it made me think of the lighthouse, you know, like, oh, there's a sea bird and it's like Hark. I haven't seen that. Oh my God, you have to. Um, I am obsessed with it. But, like, very strange movie, um, but I love it. Well, I love The Witch, so yes. I imagine I would probably like it. But I was wondering, because the, because we don't know, so it's left to our interpretation. And I have sometimes when I've been kind of in lower moments, I've been thinking about like the horror that I read and the horror that I watch. And my brain thinks, okay, well, if that happened to me, like, all right, at least it's over, you know. And so I wonder if there's that element of like she got caught up and then just didn't really have the strength to keep swimming to... I guess put it in mm-hmm. finding Dory terms, but you know, I think you could read it as um, subconscious suicide. Sorry, my hold on mm-hmm. one second. My chair, my chair is falling okay. apart. Okay. What the hell is it? This just like came loose. I'm just gonna oh move, move it for a second because that Uh-oh. was about to like collapse. Um, <laughs> Well, my hilarious joke was Chairmungo. Oh, no. (laughs) The inevitability of my color. Anyway, um, no, I was just going to say, like, you could read it as, like, a very intentional suicide or a Mm -hmm. just letting herself drown because she felt like she couldn't. I I think that's kind of the whole point is to not Mm -hmm. make it definitive. I think it is meant to be ambiguous because that that is the theme, right, is, like, the unknowability of a person, the unknowability mm-hmm. of depression, the unknowability of death and the inevitability of it. Is it something, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy or is it something external that's happening to you? Are you being victimized by a supernatural force or is it something coming from within? I think that is the, the theme of this movie and what it was mm-hmm. trying to get across and having to live with that uncertainty as, as being so troubling. Yeah. That's why I think it's a really smart movie, much more so than mm-hmm. it seems um, um, on its surface, you know, not to keep using these yeah. water I mean, the title invites it, Mm -hmm. you know. And I feel like it points in that direction because with each 
revelation about Alice, you just peel back another layer of the of how distraught she was mm-hmm. and how kind of like mired in this inescapable depression that she was mm-hmm. and how isolated she felt from the rest of the world. And there's like the scenes like I found that like he's not a large component of the movie, but like her boyfriend in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of heartbreaking in a way because like again, like he's not really embraced by the family. They don't really kind of like clue him into what's going on, but not really. And he's like yeah, I had no idea that she was experiencing any of these things because she was completely different mm-hmm. around me. And it's a little bit heartbreaking to see that because, you know, you get the feeling in those few moments that he's on screen that there was like a genuine amount of care and compassion mm-hmm. for her. And like, it was like a, you know, fairly nice teen relationship that they had. Like they probably would have been like a, and I find, like, I think the uh, young woman who plays Alice is, like, a strikingly mm-hmm. beautiful young mm-hmm. woman in this, you know, so, um, and there's just something so, there's, like, this sweetness around her when you watch her mm-hmm. in these videos, when she's, like, interacting with others, mm-hmm. and it, it adds to that kind of sense of tragedy. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing it, is so. absolutely a tragedy. Yeah. It is, and as we're talking about it, I keep wanting to mention how creepy it is. Like it is, it's mm-hmm. very unsettling. I think I don't is maybe a word I would use over like scary. I don't know if necessarily think it's overtly scary, but it's just the idea that this is lurking. This is always behind you. You just didn't see it yet, which is kind of. I'm glad that we chose these two different movies to talk about with depression because I, I really think it's kind of two different aspects. And if I look at Amelia. And to look at Alice, like Amelia, it's clear there's something going on. Like she needs help, which Mm -hmm. is why she has to like really physically isolate herself because anyone who really comes into her orbit or her and Samuel's orbit knows something is up. There is something awry here, but like that nobody really realizes that anything is wrong with her or I don't want to say wrong with her. Anything is causing her pain or that she needs help until it's already over. I think is such a like an honest like way of showing this because I mean there are so many people that are high functioning and that go about their business and they look normal and then something happens and you're like oh shit I didn't know yeah I had no idea and it's I well I just that because even in the video of her with the psychic she presents as so not toxic not normal happy like she seems Mm -hmm. like a teen a bubbly teenage girl And, and like you just said the obvious way to do this would have been to depre- to present her as depressed and like moody and like cutting herself in the room with like nine inch nails hair or something. But, right. but they went again, this movie is too smart for that. It went for a much mm-hmm. more subtle portrayal. And I think that's why the people haven't picked up on this as a, a depression oriented film. Um, <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting is like Ray to me, the psychic medium in this movie kind of fulfills the role of a therapist in this movie. Like, yes. Mm hmm. Alice is seeing Ray because, like, she realizes that she's going to die, and she's using Ray as a means to kind of come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. Much like if you were, if I were counseling, like, a terminally ill client, like, help them come to terms with the end of their life and come to grips with that. But it's, it's, she's using, like, Ray very much in, in that role to kind of come to terms with you know, what she knows is going to happen to her. Like, and she becomes like, she's, to be honest, like very accepting of death overall, much more so mm-hmm. than you think that someone her age would be overall. Like she's kind of, you kind of get, I do get the feeling when I watch that 
watch this in it. I don't want to say that she's openly embracing it so much as like she understands that like this is what is going to happen to her. One of the things that strikes me in this movie, we're just talking about how she doesn't play into that stereotypical, you know, depressed teenager, goth teenager, someone who like, woe is me, the world is out to get me. This is the kind of thing where like, and this happens like in my job in the school in particular, I don't typically get to see the kids that are like at the top of their game. Do you know what I mean? Like if they're on the honor roll mm-hmm. and are playing sports and like have friends, like they're not t- typically coming to me. And then you'll find out like there's stuff going on underneath the surface. It's like usually the more outwardly troubled or the ones that are really experiencing some sort of trauma are the ones that I end up kind of intervening with and it's like the old the squeaky wheel gets the grease type of thing Mm -hmm. like that's what happens where by all outward appearances like alice is a very well functioning like normal for whatever that word means like teenager and Mm -hmm. it's it's normal for a kid to like pull away from their parents as they get older and to want to spend time with themselves like they don't and it's normal for a kid to like not want to tell their parent every single thing about their day like i am experiencing right that a little bit right now at home with our daughter who is you know becoming a you know increasingly independent and you know there are times when we can see she's in distress and may not want to talk and i'm like well here's the deal love like your dad's a therapist, your mom's a psychologist. Like you don't get to bury your feelings in this house. Like we no are hiding. Gonna, yeah. So yeah, right. but we you know, we at the same time try to like also respect like when she wants space for herself, as much as that kind of sucks sometimes. So mm-hmm. it's a delicate balance. It really is. So as we're wrapping up talking about this movie, um, We normally talk about other mental health topics that we see represented here. um, And we're I think we're going to kind of just brush past this because we've really already mentioned and kind of talked about some of the other ones. Um, We have sexual assault and grooming. We have grief and we have um, kind of denial, which I don't think we necessarily named, but I think we talked about a lot of that. And so, yeah, we definitely see all of those represented here. I'm going to link a couple of articles that I found about grief in this movie, because I do think there's a lot there that we could pull out. And, you know, if we do revisit that topic, maybe we revisit this movie in connection with it, too. Um, but I, I really like that we focused on depression here because I think it's it's just so well done. And so, like, it's lurking there the whole time, just like mm-hmm. Alice, you know. Um, okay, so let's move into what other movies we see this in. Um, we're not going to dig into them, but we just want to kind of mention it if you're looking for something else similar. And I have, I had three, and one I forgot to put on my list until, or I didn't even think about it until we started talking. But I just finished watching A Teacher, which is a Hulu series on um, a teacher who, ha- hence the name, a teacher who has an affair with one of her students. And there's a lot of grooming in it. It's not like no going in that it's going to be that, but just I think it does a really good job of unpacking why someone would do that to another person and the effects that it has on the um, on the person that it, and it's gender swap too. It's a, a female teacher and a male student, which I think is really interesting because we don't necessarily think of survivors of sexual assault as male, but they are and it's so it's it's really well done the ending killed me in the best way because it's like ah 
yes, I want to say that to somebody. Anyways, <laughs> um, so watch a teacher if you're into that kind of thing. I also picnic at Hanging Rock. It's it's a little different, but a lot of that is about the after effects of a tragedy, which I think is a really interesting way of kind of unpacking in a similar way that Lake Mungo does. And then I put She Dies Tomorrow, which is it's it's got a lot of similar things themes it's the characters the main character says I'm gonna die tomorrow and it's just like this this perpetual thought of I'm gonna die tomorrow I'm gonna die tomorrow and it's contagious and full disclosure I don't love this movie I think I saw it at like peak um quarantine anxiety which the is first time around kind of when it came <laughs> out right it like it like hit it right is. with COVID and everybody I remember seeing a bunch of headlines like this movie was really prescient because of COVID and I was like I don't know yeah. if I want to watch this right now right. <laughs> like, yeah um, I didn't it hit me in a really weird way mm-hmm. um I think it's really well done and I know a lot of people love it I find it a little meandering but um but it definitely hits on these themes mm-hmm. Yeah, I was very, I still haven't seen it. I am curious to see it because it kept coming up while I was watching this thinking, oh, I think that movie was something that carried the torch of these themes. Um, yeah, I think you might like it. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts mm-hmm. on it. But just no going in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about the contagious nature of depression. So Yeah, kind of like better be strapped in for that. And, and the, Exactly. And that's, I already brought up earlier, I think two of the movies I was thinking of, which were It Follows, which is also kind of a contagion idea or an inevitability idea. I don't think I've ever read it as depression before, mm-hmm. um, but it really could be an analogy for any of the bad parts of ourselves that we feel like we can't escape from or that is kind of tied into all those similar themes of um, just not being able to escape from something. And mm-hmm. so, and, and it's open-ended enough that I think you could read it that way. Um, and then Pulse, which I constantly talk about and I would love for <laughs> us to cover just because I think it's really underrated. Yeah. Um, and I see this it's it's from 2001 again it's a little me it is a little meandering it's a little bit it's very very bleak but it's got some of the creepiest scares in it and there's so much here and i think just on that that idea of like the cursed images there's a lot of that in there too um Mm -hmm. i would love to see a quadruple header of lake mungo pulse sinister and the ring and then you know you can get your cursed image Mm -hmm. smorgasbord going and Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) i was gonna say you could add the ring to the mix right now in terms of like this kind of sadness that kind of permeates that movie and the heart of that movie is this real kind of tragedy about like parents unable to connect with their daughter mm-hmm. and yeah, I find right. like that would There's be a really a uh, even the original grudge I think in some ways um, mm-hmm. this kind of like unexplained or um, this area that is perm- this home that is permanently haunted or tainted by unspeakable Mm -hmm. tragedy and i Mm -hmm. think that that would also work really well for this movie Mm. yeah Yeah. this really gave me a j-horror vibe and i I wonder because it was kind of released in 2008 right after the peak of a lot of that i'm sure the writer director was influenced by that vibe because it's Mm -hmm. just it's a vibe Mm -hmm. that's the only way i could put it it is this movie is more of a mood than mm-hmm. anything else like, yes, you're right it it's not outwardly scary it's not a movie that like even the and i'm sorry if I, i'm repeating myself but that moment in the movie it you don't get a big stinger you mm-hmm. don't have mm-hmm. it like come rushing out of nowhere you don't have like the quick cut cameras at that point where like that's what a lot of movies would do yeah this just allows the moment to play out and then it moves on from it 
doesn't mm-hmm. return to it after that. And so I may also be repeating myself, but I think the graininess and the shittiness of that footage, like mm-hmm. those early Nokia cell phone kind of cam- camera phone thing, it really adds to it for me, that digital yeah. artifacting. Yeah. And when they zoom in and the image is kind of shimmering with all these yeah. pixels and like there's something mm-hmm. about that that is so effective to me. And I don't think it would be as effective if the footage was from like right. an iPhone and really clear mm-hmm. and crisp. Right. It would lose something. Yeah, there's a there's a like you can't tell the emotion on their face, mm-hmm. you know, you or you can't see the expression, which I think is it, it, like it's just part of like this monolith of hidden but not yeah. not really there. And also when the the creepy neighbor is there, like there's almost a glimmer of like his evil eyes, uh-huh. like light in his eyes that just really creeps me out when I'm thinking about it now. Yeah, it's like um, it, it plays on that like as you read it, the, this whole movie, it's like such a great conceptual gesture is cuz it forces you to read into it and project onto it and and Mm -hmm. down from the the actual written themes to the use of the grainy footage it's seamless Mm -hmm. really I love this movie (laughs) I know yeah and I'm really grateful for the two of you helping me kind of unpack this Mm -hmm. too because this as I said earlier I was you know this one hit me So. That's the whole point of this podcast. That's you know? true. That's, that's true. That's what yeah. we're here for. <laughs> well, so now let's take an uplifting moment. Phew. And I am ready. So. Huh. So this is. <laughs> this is I'm sorry. I'm reading this little typo that is extremely funny. What typo? Any coping or grinding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I was about to start laughing. It's going to be a very uplifting moment, (laughs) if you know what I mean. (laughs) Side note, I'll I'll have to tell you a story about that later. Um, (laughs) I make that sound a lot. (laughs) Let's just say I crack a lot of jokes um, in sensitive times sometimes. Um, That's what I do too, obviously. Exactly. (laughs) You have to. Anyways. You have to do it. You got to laugh. Exactly. Um, so, our uplifting moment. Uh, this is where we share any coping or grinding techniques, <laughs> which is supposed to say grounding techniques, um, that have been particularly effective for us recently. There are little tips, tricks, mantras, uh, seduction. Sorry, I'm not. I'm gonna little leave. tips. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> no, no, I love it. Um, that help us get us get through the really hard moments. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. I'm done. <laughs> this is the butt the butt lifting moment. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I don't even know what that could be. Oh no. Oh god. I like it. Um, <sighs> and it's also a chance to share our self-care, which is anything we do to make ourselves feel better. Which is, you know, for me oftentimes <laughs> yeah, acting really like a twelve year old. <laughs> self-care jokes anyway. Right. I um, Masturbation. Carry <laughs> on. Yes. So okay. it's been a pretty shitty week. So as we record this, it's January 10th. We're less than a few days away from... Yeah, a few days post-insurrection. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's been kind of a rough week. But, you know, I, like, had some of these things in my back pocket, you know? And I, Mm -hmm. I think because we've been talking about it and because I've been making a point to really kind of think of something, you know, it did kind of help. It's still been a shitty week. But, you know, I'm grateful that we continue to talk about these kinds of things because I think it does help. Um, would anyone care to share anything particular? Well, just just on that theme of 
having those coping mechanisms and knowing that you got to make yourself do them mm-hmm. at certain times. I the the day of <laughs> of the event, um, I was having obviously like all of us having a really shitty day and doom scrolling ex- excessively uh, on my phone. And that night, I made myself work out. I only made it for about fifteen minutes because for the whole day, I had mostly not eaten, and I was. And then the night before, just coincidentally, I hadn't slept well, but I made it, you know, and sometimes I get into this thing with exercise where I'm like, if I can't really go for it, I'm not going to do it at all Mm -hmm. versus just remembering like kind of like you were saying earlier, Mike, like, can you do three minutes of Mm -hmm. this? I I made myself work out for 15 minutes and it kept me from completely spiraling and deciding to like, I would have just hit my wine bottle or something Mm -hmm. instead, you know, and um, I was able to like get better sleep because of it. I also took one Xanax um, because I have a s- emergency supply for mm. nights when, when um, a very dystopian things happen. Um, but I, I, you know, that's just an example of like, if I can just remember, remind myself to do even just a little bit of self care, whether that's working out or whatever it may be, even if I feel like I can't give it my all, um, it does make a huge impact. And I have to fucking remember that. Cause I'm so bad about that. I, mm. I, I'm an all or nothing kind of person innately. And so just reminding myself not to do that is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was mine is it's, it's my morning page thing that I've talked about a long time ago, but I stopped doing it because I was just fucking, I don't know. I didn't care about things. And I started doing it the last couple of days and it really does help. And it's one of those things where like, I know it's going to make me feel better. It's just getting, getting the thing out and getting it started. And one of the things I do with exercising, cause that's the same way is I try to remove all of the obstacles to getting me there. Like I have my coffee mug already set out. So all I have to do is push the button. I've got my clothes already set out. So I just have to stumble over there and like put my shoes on and, and it it's it doesn't always work, but when I can actually make myself do the things I know are going to make me feel better, I do feel better, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you have anything you want to share, Mike? Sure. So let's talk doom scrolling. Um, <laughs> like I I just want to you know like a lot of us like I found myself glued to the news this past week. Mm-hmm. I think Wednesday night I probably. I think I fell asleep on the couch and like around three in the morning, like just went up and went to bed at that point. And I needed to remind myself after that, like it's okay to put the phone down. Mm-hmm. And I would say like, do things like disable some of your social media apps for a little bit so that you don't get caught up like on, or maybe turn off some of the notifications so yeah. that you um, can do that. It's okay to mute certain words right now because yep. like it is overwhelming. Like, we are in a rare period where we're living through a period of history that, you know, our grandchildren are going to study. Mm-hmm. It is like, you know, like I love the 90s, but you know, not that much happened. Right. It was cool. Oh, I we, could go for some 90s right now. You know, uh, like yeah. <laughs> we had good music. The music mm-hmm. was better. I don't mind the fashion <laughs> so much. Everybody had a little bit more money. This is like a really scary period of our history. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to put your phone down and do something to take care of you. Like it'll still be there in a little bit. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. So I would say like put down the phone, read a book, have ice cream for dinner. That's what we did tonight. We're like, you know what? I don't want to cook anything. You guys want ice cream. I am going to buy ice cream and hot fudge and jimmies. And that mm-hmm. will be three of the four food groups right there. Every now <laughs> and then, it's okay that, to do at that. At least once a week. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to do that. 
do the little things you can to kind of treat yourself a little bit and try to be kind of kind to the people that deserve your kindness. Yes. Yeah. One thing I've been doing is using the seven day mute function too, Mm -hmm. because I like sometimes when it's just really stressful, I I know I don't want to check out completely because I want to stay informed. But if I just mute for seven days, then when it starts popping Mm -hmm. back up again, if it stresses me out, I'll just mute it for another seven days. And if I do that like three or four times, I'll just mute you forever, you know? Yeah. So. Don't the fuck with me, Twitter. The mute button is a wonderful thing. The mute, the mute button is a really wonderful thing. It really like, is. Yeah. There's, there's no one you have to follow. No. Nobody deserves your follow or your time and, or your energy. And I love muting because you don't have to have the conversation where they're like, why'd you unfollow me? Because exactly. you could just be like, I'm just going to mm-hmm. turn right. you off for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of social media, <laughs> we want to know what you, <laughs> we want to know what you think. How do you feel when you watch Lake Mungo? What are your thoughts on the conversation we just had or anything else that's on your mind, especially with this one? I know this one was a little tricky to talk about. And um, so we just want to hear your thoughts. You can share these thoughts with us by following us on socials at PsychoAPod. You can also join the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group on Facebook where we post the homework question, questions of the day, and, you know, whatever else we can think of. Uh, It's private and moderated, filled with really, really kind and supportive people. And, um, you know, it's not all really traumatic stuff that we're talking about. There's, like, jokes. (laughs) I think Patrick posted some depression, yay, meme, which I appreciated. Um, So, and if you hate Facebook, but you still want to participate in this group, create uh, an, another account and only and don't friend anyone because then you don't see anybody's shit you just see the group and the group is private and moderated i did kick an asshole out a couple of months ago because he was saying some bullshit so you know um so yeah that join us there Blah. That was me who got kicked out. Because <laughs> he, he told us all to go play in traffic, he, and we were like, yes. Mike, geez, I know. come on. We're like, <laughs> a one-week suspension is not enough. <laughs> um, so you can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to share privately. And gosh, I hate asking for this, but please leave us a rating and review. Uh, it rate and review. Yes, I'll be the good bad cop. You be the good cop. I'll be the yeah yeah. Please <laughs> like me. <laughs> but yeah, so please do that because it makes us feel good and it helps people give us. It helps people find us. So you know, um, leave us a review, motherfucker. Yes. Okay, sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> Five stars. Anyways, <laughs> our homework question for this week, and I'm going to read it in a creepy voice. Just just now decided have you ever had an encounter with a ghost or something ghost <laughs> have you ever realized that something's been dead for 10 years have you ever been ghosted by a mm. by a ghost <laughs> by, by a ghost not a guy <laughs> he have was talking to me he, he appeared in my mirror and then he just disappeared Ooh. and I never came back I know what's <laughs> the deal he said he would call Sorry. Anyways, so that's our homework question. I'll make sure to make a prompt that um, succinctly puts it with, <laughs> without my weird ghostiness. That whole transcript, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but if it's just a readout of everything we just said, that would be fun. Um, so uh, what's up next for us? Well, 
I am really excited. We've got another comfort horror episode, and it's a film that I am dying to talk about, so I cannot wait. We're going to be joined by Jeremy Scott from CinemaSense to talk about one of my favorite horror-adjacent movies, Ex Machina. Yes. I have never watched this movie. Oh my gosh, you'll like it. I, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard not to. I, I, it's mm-hmm. a really fun, good movie. It is good. Yeah, it just really hits all my uh, feminist reading buttons. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I cannot. And it's super like slick and cool, and it's just it's just a great flick. It yeah. is. It's really good. Domhnall Gleeson's in it. You know, Oscar Isaacs. What more mm. do you want? It's great. What more do you want? So yeah, so make sure you watch that before next week if you haven't seen it already. Um, we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us here and there along with some other fantastic pods, including Halloweenies, The Losers Club, and Going There with Dr. Mike by going to consequenceofsound.com, where you can also find lots of pop culture writing and uh, music-related content and just lots of cool stuff. And, oh, I already said the review thing, so I don't have to ask for it again. But please leave us a do review. It, do it. Do please it. Please do it. <laughs> Mike, where can we find you online? So you can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian. Uh, you can also find me at Pod and Pendulum. You can find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, um, anywhere you get your podcasts. And Lindsay uh, and I are... Uh, actually covering Sinister. I think by the time this comes out, our Sinister episode will be out before we move into like two months on French horror and then the Evil Dead series. So we have a lot of really fun stuff planned for the next um, few months that I'm really excited to kind of dive into. So go ahead. And I think I'm going to be guesting on a couple of shows. I'm going to be on Grumpire. Uh, if you remember LB from our mm-hmm. Poltergeist episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be bringing, uh, presenting um, Toy Story 3 and Spider-Man 3, with (laughs) Spider-Man 3 being a movie that I think deserves more love, and Toy Story 3 being a movie that I find, like, vastly overblown, Mm. because I think it's just essentially Toy Story 2. It's the same freaking movie. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm going to be on one called The Rotating Chair, where I'll be talking about the American Pie series. (laughs) So I am definitely looking forward to looking back at Douchebag Mike, uh, (laughs) late 90s, early 2000s, who adored those movies and loved them and then rewatches them now and is like, ooh, these are are something else (laughs) right here. I mean, Eugene Levy is fucking fantastic. Oh, yeah. But I'm really looking forward to like talking about some movies that aren't necessarily horror for a change. Yeah, yeah so. fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Laura, where can we find you? Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S, like the wet. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, like, like, okay, here we go. You can find me on Twitter at Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S, like the... Uh, the wet swim trunks that you wear to the community pool mm. and then afterward you you throw on your regular pants over them and you're on the bus ride home and they're just fucking soaking through your pants and you're gonna fucking get a yeast infection mm. and you fucking know it mm-hmm. uh under alls u-n-d-e-r-a-l-l-s on twitter <laughs> and uh i'm sorry that one was not not my best material but you know i'm running out of underpants analogies here yeah. it's a tricky uh, and, movie and, to make an analogy with too i was so. going I, I started thinking wet swimming yeah. uh and, and uh you you can also find me on Instagram at Instaglum, like Instagram with a mood disorder, much like the episode we just 
uh, had sure. here on yeah. this podcast. And I'm sometimes on Losers Club and Halloween. <laughs> Um, and you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the socials. You can also find me on the Losers Club talking about the stand and um, coming up Desperation and the Regulators and Richard Bachman versus Stephen King. Who will win? In a head-to-head death match. Exactly, yeah. I'm trying to find the AV pre- a- <laughs> aliens versus predators no matter who loses. Fuck. <laughs> I like Stephen King. Okay, yay. So, <laughs> anyways. Is it like Freddy versus Jason? Place your bet. Oh, yeah, maybe. Except, I, I mean, clearly Stephen King's going to win. So, you know. I mean, he, he, I think he already destroyed Richard Bachman. He did. Like decades ago, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he doesn't write. Anyway. <laughs> Steel Cage style, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so that's our episode on Lake Mungo. Thank you so much for joining us for this. Thank you, Laura and Mike, for helping me through my feelings about this and anytime you know this is this is kind of a a stealth big one i think you know Mm -hmm. so um just like the uh the so many pictures it was always there lurking just waiting Mm. just out of focus and and now it now you can't deny it okay i'll stop um, so <laughs> let's sign off. Uh, we came here to chew bubble gum and take care of ourselves. And we're all out of, all out of all bubble gum. Bye. Woo. See ya. Consequence Podcast Network.